Hey, everybody. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We're going to be doing a whole hour of question and answer about licensing. So I see some people already typed some questions here. That's great. Um, okay, cool. I see. Um, before we get started, <clears throat> I'm still recovering a little bit. So uh, if my voice is a little messed up, I'm sorry, but I think you guys can still hear me. Maybe I'll try to get the microphone a little bit closer here. There we go. That might help out a little bit. Um, licensing, which is what we guide people to do and have been doing so for over two decades, uh, is a great business model. You don't need, uh, you don't need to raise money because that big company you license to, I always do this at the beginning of every Q&A because I figure people are new to kind of set the stage, but you don't need to raise money because that big company, it's their money because you're licensing it to them. You're renting or leasing your idea to a large manufacturer, not a retailer, but a manufacturer that usually sells to a retailer. Occasionally it could be a retailer for their house brand, but that's pretty rare. Um, so it's their money, not yours. And you don't need to hire employees because they already have 50, 60, 80 products. One of our coaches, Kirk, he licensed a product to a company that has over 9,000 products. That's a machine. So they have that machine and that machine is run by their employees. Sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising, you know, all those departments. And so when it's just one more product in their product line, that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing because that's what these large companies are very good at. They're very, very good at uh, distribution, logistics, all that sort of thing. But what you're really good at is coming up with ideas. So never undervalue um, that little special something that you guys have that <coughs> the companies don't have where they can look at it from outside the box. I mean, they might be creative, but they kind of lost their creativity at some point because they're just doing the same stuff. Um, so it's their money, their workforce, and their distribution. That's the biggest thing, guys. You know, if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you're in 30,000 stores. That's amazing. So companies are going to pretty much do what they already do. So if you have a pet product and they're in Petco, PetSmart, Walmart, and Target, they're going to do that. If they're over here in some industrial area, they're going to do that. They're going to do what they already do. But what you can do is look at what they do and go, damn, they would be great. You know, they, they you don't want to ask them to distribute in places where they don't currently distribute. You don't want to ask them to a completely new market. If they're making bicycles and you say they should make hammers, it makes no sense. That's just kind of stating the obvious. But people do submit inventions to companies. And it's like, did you look at their product line? That's not even right for their product line. So that's very, very important. Okay, so let's jump in and do some Q&A here. Um, Marcus said... Um, I read this ahead of time just a little bit because he typed it in earlier. Um, Marcus was having a hard time or roaming tortoise is his handle. Um, keeping his, we just did a contest and the contest said the submissions, it ended on Sunday at midnight, um, needed to be under 90 seconds, under a minute and a half. And he said he really struggled with that. Well, that was good. And he, he actually said maybe it was a learning experience. I think that's more or less what he said. And I think it is because when our students do videos, we just had a, a Bridging the Gap company come on. It was a CEO from a major company. He talked to our students today, earlier today at one o'clock Pacific. And um, what was that? I, I lost my train of thought, guys. Like I said, I'm recovering a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I lost 
lost my train of thought. What was I, what was I going to say? 90 second. Okay. Um, oh yeah. What he was saying is he doesn't want to see five cell sheets. And we talked about videos a little bit and I said, you know, it should always be under 60 seconds and never, maybe occasionally 90 seconds. Um, but uh, the CEO said, I really prefer under 30. That's what he said. He said, I don't have time. I get 200 emails a day, you know? So that was that was the point I wanted to make. So Roaming Tortoise or Marcus is your real name. Um, if you struggle with keeping it under 90 seconds, that was good. It was a good exercise. I mean, it's different because you're pitching why for this contest, why you'd make a good InventRight student as opposed to working on pitching your product and keeping it under 60 seconds. Um, initially, when we did the contest, we kept it under 60, but uh, we realized some people were struggling. Maybe you haven't been trained yet. So we said, okay, it could be 90. So we expanded it. Um, so yeah, we're, and so uh, Marcus, you were also asking how many people entered. I don't know the exact number yet, but we're not going to disclose that. But if you guys did enter, you have a pretty good chance of winning. We're not Microsoft or Tesla or something. We don't have bazillions of users. So you, if you entered, you, you all have a pretty good chance. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, Low Boy said, I sent over information. Oh, hey, Andrew, I've received, Low Boy said, I've received interest from one of my companies. Great. That's really cool. Um, they told me they could definitely see switching to my product and ask for more details. Okay. I sent over the information and I'm assuming they are manu they are getting manufacturing costs. How long uh, should I wait to follow up? So, okay, I think you already made a mistake. I was gonna turn off the my ringer on my phone here. It's like a tiny little slot, so I have to use a pen because I don't have fingernails that long. Um, You, if you didn't get on the phone and talk with them, maybe you did, but from what you read, wrote, I, it looks like you didn't, you made a mistake. So you gave them some more information, big mistake. So when they need information, that is your opportunity to leverage so that you can get on the phone and talk with them. And so why do you want to do that? Well, you want them to realize you're a person, you know, you're just, you're just a faceless name and inventor via email. And so when you talk to somebody, either on, on a Zoom with video or on the phone, it becomes a little bit more real. And they get more involved in the project because they start talking about it and you go back and forth a bit. So a big part of that first call is not closing a deal by any means, not remotely. And you should never try because it's many calls and emails over months with most deals. Um, but to establish rapport. So you had an opportunity. I'm just going to assume, okay, low boy. So um, maybe um, maybe you didn't do this, but you can clarify. You can type in here and uh, clarify. Um, I didn't see you clarify yet. But if you just gave them, they showed interest, you gave more information, you didn't get on the phone with them, that was an outright mistake. So I want everybody to learn from your mistake. Now, does that mean the deal's dead? No, hell no, of course not. But you had, they wanted certain information instead of getting on the phone and discussing it and creating some rapport and starting the relationship, you sent them information and now they're going to go off and make a decision on their own without any back and forth. Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't send that information after that first call or part of it, 
but you really need to get on the phone and talk with them. Maybe you did that. Maybe you just didn't write. You did that. Um, yeah, and you had your fingers crossed for this Wednesday. Also, my okay. Um, all right. So let me let me see, Marcus, if you typed in here anymore. Tell me if you got on the phone with them. If you did, that's okay. It's a good learning experience for everybody. But type in there if you if you got on the phone or not. And if I remember, I'll page down. I'm paging down now. I don't see anything. So let's jump off to the next uh, question. Uh, Derek said, Andrew, the marketing manager. I like that you, a lot of you guys are in the game. That's fantastic. Um, the marketing manager I'm dealing with is seeing about getting me an advance on royalties to pay for IP, for patents. Um, I met my patent attorney, Bob, on one of your LinkedIn chats. Okay, um, that's fun. Um, he was just on the chat with you, I guess. I know I saw him on there once. I don't know him, or at least I don't think I do. Um, I wouldn't be in this position without you and Stephen. Thank you so much. So, uh, well... Derek's getting, you know, uh, low boy was kind of like early stage. And if Derek, if the marketing manager is seeing if you can get advanced on royalties to pay for the patent, sounds like you're getting a little further along. I'd like to know from you as well how many uh, calls and emails you've done with the company up to this point. That should be helpful. So if we get some feedback from Derek and then um, from low boy, um, maybe we can kind of expand upon this. Oh, I've got interest. And what did they do? What are the next steps? So that would be great. I don't see any response from either of them yet. Um, Ali said, I have a PPA for a big idea in the automotive industry stuck at the gatekeepers. Should I switch to smaller ideas in easier industries such as kitchen accessories? Um, so, yeah, if you're trying to get in like Ford and General Motors and and company or Mercedes, just quit right now. I mean, now, if you're licensing an aftermarket, automotive aftermarket product, that's a great category. Tons of companies, our students have licensed in that category. We did have a student license in automotive, huge deal. He'd filed a ton of patents already. It was brutal. Um, it can be done, but I, I really don't recommend that you try to license to a uh, major automotive manufacturer. We get that question often, and I talk about it often. Probably we don't have that many students working in that area or inventors working in that area. But, don't you know, here's the deal. If, if you're like, oh, yeah, they should add this. They should add this to the car off the line. And it's like the company's looking at it going, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe 20% of people want that. We're not going to add all that cost. I mean, they're trying to, to pinch pennies there. So they're very, very sensitive about adding a new feature to a car that only a percentage of people may want, even if it's an option. That's a big pain in the ass. So uh, it's very, very difficult. Um, our student that licensed the product had to do with um, uh, back trailers and hookups and stuff like that. Um, and he actually had inside information as to um, where that company was going with that. I don't know how he got that. Um, and then he kind of glommed onto it. But I, I, yeah, work in another category. Now, if it's automotive aftermarket and you got these cool new rims or it's a new seat cover or an air freshener or something that goes inside the car, there's a million automotive accessories. My God, our new four by, we had a, uh, one of our students license a four by four accessory. Um, that's fantastic. That's just as good as kitchen. 
massive dollar sales done, but don't try to license the major automotive manufacturers. Um, it's just next to impossible. One kind of side route to get in there is like, well, but but you're not playing the numbers game, really. So let's say you got a new type of windshield, okay? And there's a, uh, the, you, know, you notice there's a contractor that makes all the windshields for a particular line for General Motors. Well, you could try to license to them, but again, you don't have 30 companies to call. You have one. So it's just really, really difficult. And the patent stuff, they'll beat the hell out of you there, where most categories, they don't. Not automotive aftermarket, but standard automotive companies. Let's see if we got a response from uh, Derek said, okay, uh, Derek said he had two, he was the gentleman that had <clears throat> interest and the marketing manager is trying to talk to the company about uh, getting an advance on royalties to pay for the patent, which is great. That's what we advise people to do if it's important to the company. The company's like, we don't care about patents. They can still sign a licensing agreement where they're obligated to pay. You, our students do it all the time. <clears throat> but Derek said, when I said, how much interaction have you had? He said two online chats, one in-person meeting, and tons of emails. Huh, in person, that's pretty unusual. And then the online chat, I don't know what the hell an online chat is, what that means. Um, maybe he means a video chat, it's a video chat. Um, so yeah, he's he's further along than uh, Lowboy who was talking about how they asked for more information. He just sent the info back and he hasn't, little boy hasn't responded yet. And, and he didn't get on the phone with them as far as we know. Um, so that's a mistake. You just never want to, oh, that's what you want. Okay, here you go. You never do that. Not because they're going to rip you off or do, it just doesn't move the deal forward. So I'd love to hear from low boy as to, and no big deal, low boy, if you didn't have a phone call with them or a Zoom chat with them, you can still do that. But you, you you lost that leverage. You just gave them what they asked for instead, you know. Um, but don't worry about it. I don't. It, it can make a deal fizzle out, but I think you'll be fine. So don't worry about that too much. Let's keep moving forward. Um, okay. Uh, Ave Ave success. I think is their handle. How do you know? Uh, and I like how you put in all capitals because it shows your little green here. How do you know when submitting an idea to a company that they will tell you no thanks and do it behind your back in all capitals is what Ave Success wrote. So um, now I, I'm not telling you that no company in the history of the world has ever taken an inventor's idea. Of course not. I've talked to inventors where that's happened. A good percentage of the ones that I've talked to where it's happened, they were acting like whacked out inventors. Um, I'm like, just the way they conducted themselves, the things they told me they said to the company, I'm like, whoa, you're all off on this. Now, in the 22 years we've been doing InventRight with students in over 65 countries, because we train our students to do and say all the right things. They're always checking with their coach before they say something via email or before they have their next phone call. Um, so they're acting like a pro, you know. Um, in that period of time, there's not a student I know of that has had an idea stolen from them. Now I've had students that were considered about concerned about it. And I would give them like some things to say for their particular situation where they didn't sound paranoid, but they're kind of putting the company on notice that they're going to keep working on this thing. Um, and then I told them to, to take a look at the company's website, keep checking in and none of them saw the product come out. So, um, but to, to answer your question more specifically, Ave Success, 
Um, when you file a provisional patent application, you can legally say patent pending, and then you send them a sell sheet or marketing piece, video or sell sheet, and you could have patent pending in there. So you're putting them on notice, you know, that you're that you're 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 working on getting or intellectual property for this this uh, for this product. So that's a form of protection. Also, the paper trail you create. So you've got all the e back and forth from when you sent it to them. Okay, but um, and then a lot of these companies are more afraid of you guys than you are of them. They're afraid of getting sued. So those are just a few reasons why. Um, so as long as you're conducting yourself professionally and you're not acting unprofessional, and a lot of inventors do act unprofessional, um, then you should you should be fine. I'm not saying it can't happen, but guess what? If you never show your idea to anybody you rip yourself off and most inventors rip themselves off out of fear. And they rip themselves off when they go spending 10, 20 K on a patent. Every time they come up with an idea, it's ripping. Why wouldn't you utilize the year the patent office gives you to file a provisional patent and see if there's interest. So a success is their handle. Um, the answer is you can file a provisional patent application using our smart IP software, if you like for $75. That's a, the patent office fee is $75. Our software is $99. So you can legally say patent pending. All right. And then you're kidding, creating a paper trail. And then the, the best way to protect yourself is to act professional. So, you know, that company, that three or 4% of companies that might knock you off when you're acting professional and there, you'll say you're talking to Sally and Sally's CEO, Bob, he's not very ethical. And he says to Sally, Sally, why should we pay this guy? Why don't we just do it ourselves? She's like, oh, Bob, He's not like that whacked out inventor from a year ago. He didn't know what the hell he was doing. We could go around him, whatever. Um, this guy's asking some smart questions. So another big form of protection, case in point, hasn't happened to one of our students yet. It will one day. It's going to happen one day. But um, is conducting yourself professionally. That is a form of protection. Um, when they see you know the hell, what the hell you're doing. Um, so... I covered that pretty thoroughly. Hopefully that was helpful. If you're new, it's a common thought, common worry. It's a good question. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, that are happy you asked that question and I answered it. Um, happy Monday all on purpose, uh, Miss Tish said. Uh, hello, Andrew Fung. Hey, Fung. Uh, Johnny said, hey, uh, hey, Johnny. And... Uh, God, I need to put on my glasses these days. McDennant, I think, 2014. He says hello there. Anyway, there's a bunch of good questions. Yeah, I agree. Um, somebody said. Um, okay, here's another one. I, I like that you guys are in the game. This is fantastic. I had a Zoom meeting with a potential licensee. This is from Jeff. He thought my invention was not novel because someone on a forum a few years ago mentioned that someone should invent a device that does such a thing. <laughs> okay, that's not the same as an invention in the market. So what? My invention uh, does that thing. Is that prior art? There was no details in the forum. My invention takes a thought and makes it a reality if it gets licensed. Um, I would go for it, Jeff. I mean, I can't. I need to look at what they said and then what you did. But you said they didn't go into the details. And you're going into details that weren't publicly disclosed. 
So I, I, I would think that that might be something you might be able to get a patent on. Good time for a disclaimer. Anything we share, I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. So, um, Jeff, I would go for it. Um, I think that sometimes inventors, when they're not trained, they don't know how to handle or, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm seeing, a, and I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong, Jeff. Maybe you're doing everything right. But I'm seeing some people on our live public chats that are saying um, this guy's at this company's like challenging me. Why should I pay you for this? And I don't see people doing that to our students very often. All I've seen it before, but I just don't really see it very often. So there's a lot to be said for that deal flow and setting the stage and the things you did before, Jeff, and how you're setting that. Or maybe just this guy's kind of a dick and he's just looking for a reason not to pay you. I mean, who knows? Um, so he went out there and he found something on a forum for years ago and just say, this is what I would say back to him, Jeff. I say, well, I have a very competent um, patent attorney. He's assured me we're going to get some good claims on this. And the, the things that I'm covering were not publicly disclosed in that forum posting. Are you interested in the product? Are you interested? Do you believe you can sell this? And just, and really the best place for that is a phone call. Um, but you you could say it via email too. If you can get on a phone call and he's willing to talk to you, I think that would be best case scenario. And um, just then see if you can move it forward. And if not, um, he's intrigued enough by the true benefit of the product that I bet you're going to get some other companies interested too. So you're doing great, Jeff. You're doing a great job. Um, yeah, James is commenting on Jeff. Jeff's comment, which is, hi, Jeff, I'm not an attorney, but it's first to file. The problem you might run into is you're the first to file uh, is that you have to prove it's non-obvious. Yeah, that's true. But, but you know, Jeff said himself, the guy, the, the thing that was disclosed, I think it was probably in writing and it didn't go into specifics things he's covering. So then that wasn't publicly disclosed that whatever he's trying to cover, at least that part of it. So whatever's publicly disclosed, yeah, okay, that might be a problem. But the part that's not, people have, you know, you, you don't patent an invention. You know, I like to say that to shock people. You patent a piece of it. You know, it's like this hinge over here. I, I'm putting it in layman terms here, not, not legal terms. But this hinge over here, without this hinge, it wouldn't have this functionality. So people, but, oh, but, but, oh, but there's somebody that has something similar. And it's like, it's like, no, you're patenting pieces of it that offer functionality and utility. And um, so, so when somebody has an idea and it's spoken of in general terms, but it doesn't, let's say it doesn't talk about that hinge, you know, well, you can cover that hinge, you know. So it all depends on what was said. But um, Jeff, great, great comment. Great story. James, great comment as well. Um, I love uh, this person's handle, which is don't touch me. Don't touch me. Um, <laughs> uh, board game questions. Uh, uh, they say, do you do potential future expansion packs need to be included in the original copyright of the game? What if the game can be played with multiple sets of rules and I include all the possible rules? I, you know, when you're working on board games, car games, these, these toy companies are pretty cool. I wouldn't be paring out about covering all those different variations. I'd be more into figuring out what they 
what they're interested in. And copyright is automatically done when the author creates the work and you put the copyright on it. Yeah, you can file with the Library of Congress and all that. But um, uh, toy and board game companies, um, uh, board game and card companies, they're not going to knock you off. I would be surprised. So don't be so worried about all the variations. Be worried about closing the deal. And then, yeah, you can cover all of it with a copyright. That's the great thing about board games. Um, have we ever done any uh, licensing deals for crypto physical crypt for crypto physical products? Is it a popular area or slowly growing? You think? Um, well, there are. Uh, I recently got into crypto a little bit when I saw everything tanked. I wasn't in it before. I bought some Bitcoin, Ethereum, not a lot, just to kind of speculate and. I would say compared to investing in this, my investments in the stock market, um, it's more speculative. But I, I think it for me, it made sense. I did a ton of research. Um, and so I recently only this is guys, this is only like in the last three weeks. Um, I learned about hot wallets, cold wallets um, and cold wallets when you're doing crypto is, is like a USB type stick um, that will store your crypto and nobody can steal it or access it. Um, so that's an example of uh, hardware crypto type of product, which is, I think, what you're talking about, physical crypto products. Um, so there was a ton of them. I, I think I researched about 10 different cold storage uh, crypto wallets. Um, I don't know what other type of crypto physical products, as you put it, um, you're talking about. Because um, like I said, I'm not an expert at crypto. I've only been investing crypto for about three weeks when I saw everything tank and I'm like, Hey, I, I'm going to get in. Um, not a lot, but a, a fair amount. But, um, so anyway, uh, that was from Johnny. So if you want to expand it, don't disclose what you, but I don't know what other physical crypto products they are, but I'm not a crypto expert. So, um, you give an example, but don't disclose any invention or anything. But I, I think it's an area. I think it's an area. I think it's an area that where you can license. I mean, when I see 10, 12 companies making cold crypto wallets. Obviously, there's a market there. Um, uh, James says, Web3 is huge. Most don't want to license, though. Web3, okay. Need to look Google what Web3 is. Um, uh, if you're talking about tech companies, yeah, they're pretty sucky to try to license to, if that's what you're talking about. Um, Chad, okay. Well, Chad replied, oh, what? Chad, why did you change your handle? That's really odd. You were low boy before and now you're Chad. Okay, well, that's cool. Um, maybe you locked out and logged back in. Um, I have not, you have not spoken to them on the phone. Um, so uh, Chad was the one earlier that they showed some interest and they wanted some questions and he sent that information off and, is going to be following up with them. Um, so he didn't get on the phone with them. So thanks for the tip. Finally updated my handle. Okay, cool. I think he just changed his name and his picture, I guess, while he was on here. Um, yeah, that's a mistake, man. But don't worry about it. You know, get on the phone, find something to get on the phone and discuss with them. And I would still, I would drop them an email and I would say, uh, can we set up a time for a quick phone or Zoom call? And um, I got a few questions for you. Probably got a few questions for me. And do that. That's always the first thing you should do when you get interest. Always. So, yeah, you gave him a bunch of info. 
maybe it was good info, what have you. But they might they can come to wrong conclusions on their own, and you're just trying to create that bond. You're trying to connect. You know, um, let's see. Uh, Johnny said, I wish the competition included UK users maybe next time. Yeah, with our contest, guys, I, 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 we had a meeting and I'm like, okay, so this thing again, so we're doing a contest and all our research showed that you, you, you can't do an international contest. You can't do one outside the US because it's nearly impossible. We probably have to spend $30,000 just to comply with all the countries together. It would be insane. Um, and so... I threw it out. I'll say it. We didn't do it, so I can say it. I said, guys, why do we need to alienate all our international followers? Why don't we let them all enter too? Um, and the advice we found on the internet is you shouldn't do that because there's different laws in all these countries. I'm like, so what? Like, who's going to care? You know, why not let all our international followers enter our contest just like anybody else? Um, but the the legal opinion is that shouldn't do that. And so then we just researched it a bit. And apparently a lot of people, US companies, they'll do a contest and um, they get a lot of their international followers, customers, what have you, getting upset because like, why can't I enter? And they don't understand how difficult it is to do an international contest. But when you look at it, even large mega corporations will limit it to the US for these reasons. So if they feel like they have a hard time comp doing it internationally, you can imagine a smaller company like ourselves, we would, I don't like it at all. I was kind of like, well, screw it. Let's just do the contest. Everybody can win and we'll, you know, we'll pick the winners and and I don't care where they're from or what the laws are in that country. And, and, and um, then I thought about it a bit and everybody's like, yeah, I don't think so, Andrew. And I'm like, okay, but I was the one talking about it because I've, I hear about it. So I'm sorry, Johnny, but uh, we could only make it available to U.S. citizens. And by the way, that's that's the only thing that ever that we've been associated with ever that where it's there's any difference between anywhere you live. So, for instance, um, you could be in Kathmandu, you could be in Australia, you could be in Europe, you can be in Asia and you can file a provisional patent application and pay the same seventy five dollar fee as any U.S. citizen. So. Um, I love that it's the great equalizer. You could be you could be with very limited income in a third world country, and you can still license products. Um, we've had we've had students that have done that. So um, you can do this from anywhere in the world, and especially with our approach, we teach people to do it very cost effectively. So to me, it really left a bad taste in my mouth that the the U.S. and all the laws overseas said that we couldn't do the contest for everybody and only for U.S. citizens. So anyway, that's my apology on that. Um, okay. Uh, don't touch me is their handle. You, you always ask these board game, uh, questions. I think you're working on a board game. Maybe, um, <laughs> how complete does a board game have to be when pitched? I have the rules, the board game, the cards done, but I am wondering about graphics of the game. It, it's all important when you're pitching a board game, the play showing that interplay, um, it's, it's not always the easiest thing in, in the world for somebody to do. Board game inventors are probably some of the most passionate inventors I've ever seen. And there's a reason for that because you're playing it with your friends and family and you get really excited and they're all like, yeah, we really like this game. And so, but I've also noticed that some board game inventors are also the most stubborn. They, they, it becomes fixed in their mind as to what the, how the game is played and everything. And you need flexibility 
when dealing with a toy and board game company and being willing to change it. So um, if the graphics look like a three-year-old did it, yeah, that's problematic. Do they need to be perfect? No. Do they need to see the general vision and the gameplay and all that? Yes. So I think the graphics could be bad enough where it's distracting, but I don't think they need to be perfect. Um, but I do think they need to be decent. So, um, yeah, and it is common. You're asking, uh, publishers will tweak the game. It's guaranteed. It's absolutely 100% guaranteed that they will not license your board game and do it exactly as you showed it. Guaranteed with the board game. Guaranteed. Okay, so I'm glad you asked that question. Um, they said, could I license a phone app idea? If so, would my app have to have a patent on it? Um, don't bother. Uh, everybody and their grandmother has an app or a phone idea. And, you know, I'm just saying in this one category, you could have a new kitchen gadget and they're like, oh, we really like this thing. Yeah, this is a, this is a cool kitchen gadget. It's a pen, I know. Let's say it's a kitchen gadget. And uh, yeah, you know, and they're just thinking like, okay, we're just going to make the injection mold. We're going to make this done. I'm not saying all products are that simple. But when it's software, the software geeks really don't like people with ideas because like they're like, well, what backend database you're using? You're like, I don't know. And, and so they want to kind of geek out and get in the weeds. And also it might take six guys in a room a year to program. So, um, you know, they just don't, wow, I saw lightning out the window. It looked like it almost looked like it hit the tree out there. Um, so they just don't like ideas. Now, as I've said before, in some of these public chats, um, if you're a soft professional software developer, or you've been in the software business and you can speak tech and you know how to pitch it then I think you can license it just like a toy or something else. Not to a Microsoft or an Apple or somebody, but to a smaller uh, company. Those companies are just too damn big. Um, but if you just have a new idea for an app, I would focus on physical products. It's going to be very, very difficult to license that because the software geeks look at you and go, that's a great idea, guy. And you're probably like, well, Andrew, don't other industries do that? No, they don't. Um, and so just software apps licensing, very, very difficult. Um, whenever I see somebody that's interested in our program and they have one, hey, but I, but I got a kitchen gadget and I got a dog toy and I got a, I got an industrial product over here. I'm like, work on one of those. Okay. So um, I, I just wouldn't encourage you to do it. It's just not uh, worth your time. Um, if you do do it, you need to do a lot more of a presentation. You could do a graphic mock-up and stuff like that, but that's just hard. Um, Ollie said, uh, was this something? What was it, Ollie's question earlier? Ollie expanded on. Let me go back. Uh, PPA for a big idea in the automotive industry. Okay, cool. Let's follow up and see what Ollie has to say. If I can find. There we go. Okay. It's a feature that will make race cars have faster lap times. Should I approach racing teams? I'm drawing a blank on who um, race, makes racing products. No, that's fine. That's great. I like that. So um, now we had one of our students license a different kind of Jeep door. Like a lot of Jeeps, like they will take off the door completely or they'll put the door on there, you know, when they're off-roading. Um, and this one was like in between. It was kind of like a bar instead of a whole door. And he licensed that. So you can imagine all the people with Jeeps or all the people four-wheel driving, that's a pretty big market. Okay. Not as big as um, 
hey, if it came off every Volkswagen coming off the line, but it's pretty damn big. And that's what I'm talking about with automotive aftermarket. Now, what Ollie's talking about is for race cars. Now, there's a lot of money in racing, um, but that's not a Volkswagen or a Mercedes or whatever. But how much volume is Ollie going to do there if it's for race cars? Now, I may be wrong on that. I mean, uh, but how many can he sell, he or she sell? I don't know. Ollie's a male or female name. Um, and so, is, but that's very licensable. I just don't know how much volume there is. It might be huge royalties per unit because it lets this one team win over others. I don't know. But that is doable. Um, so, you know, what you want to do, Ollie, there probably is go after the, com- you know, a lot of this stuff is custom. But if there are companies making components for race cars, obviously you license to them. And I, and this, this is an unusual scenario, but I would even approach the, the famous race car teams um, or the engineering teams that support them. And maybe they can introduce you to a company that can license it or they license it. I just don't know how much money it's not. A, I don't know if it's a volume game there. Right. And that's the problem because when you're licensing, you know, for a company, some companies for some products selling a million units a year is no big deal. Maybe 50,000. It depends on the product. Um, maybe 20,000, but, um, how many race cars are there for this stuff to go into? There's a lot of money in racing. And the reason why I think it's very expensive is because a lot of it's custom. So, um, but it's that's licensable. I just worry it might not be the volume, but I don't know all the details. So um, it's interesting, but that's not, that's not Volkswagen or Mercedes trying to, you know, coming off the line. That's, that's more of a niche market. It's like you're going the opposite way. Um, Let's see. Oh, Derek said earlier that some of the he had two uh, chats and then uh, one phone meeting and the video there were video chats, video online meetings. So Derek's moved along pretty far and is even asking the marketing manager. Marketing manager is trying to help to get him to pay for the patent. That's fantastic, Derek. Um, uh, if you could comment, Derek, if you had. I don't know the name of every one of our students. If you're a former event rights student, I'd be interested to know. Um, Frank said, Andrew, companies interested in open innovation in the DIY and professional home repair sector. My IP is super, is superior products in the wall fixation channel. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, uh, Products for... um, for for uh, tradesmen are great great I mean huge volume massive market um, we'll see if the housing market keeps going uh, with the with the weirdness in the economy right now um, but yeah that's a that's a great category Frank so what was the question um, home repair sector yeah home repair is great it has been for quite some time and I think it, it especially it really took off I think during COVID. Um, but I want to comment on the economy. Um, you know, I, I I just got back into the market because I had not uh, panic, but a sense of urgency and not having my money in cash um, because I, I wanted to get into the market and buy all these stocks low and hang on to them for the long term. Um, so I had that concern. So there's different concerns we may have with the economy, but companies will always need new products. Customers will always want new products. 
it's insane how demanding customers are of new and innovative, cool products. They always want it new. It's not like back in the day when I was a kid and, you know, and it was just the same. There was just not the selection. There wasn't so many companies. It wasn't so, uh, you know, the distribution channels weren't there. There were big companies kind of tend, tend to dominate and stuff. And now there's so much variety and so much choice. Companies desperately need you guys. And guess what? You're free. If, if they don't like your idea, it doesn't cost them a dime. If they like it, they need to pay you a royalty. So, so what if our economy is having a hard time over the next six months, year, I don't care, two years, okay? And you license it to a company. First of all, it's going to take them about a year to bring it to market quite often. Um, and sometimes it can be quicker, but it's going to take them about a year to bring it to market. So it, let's say the recession, whatever it is, last year, okay, by the time it gets to market, things are already doing better. Let's say it lasts longer. So what if the company you license to is selling 90% of what they would have sold in better times or people weren't getting stingy with their money. So what? You're still getting your royalty. It's just like 10% less sales, you know? So what? So there's there should be no excuses. If you're passionate about your ideas, you should work forward in licensing your products now and forever. Um, I have more students during licensed during COVID than pre-COVID. You know, it was it was kind of interesting. Um, so don't be, get distracted. My main point here, guys, which I'm just going to drive home. Don't get distracted by all the noise of the recession, the economy. It's all real. I'm not saying it's not. Customers will always want new and innovative products. Okay. So don't wait. Don't use it as an excuse. Not saying you guys are, but I've, the way certain people have reached out to me, I can tell they might be. Don't. So that's, that's my commentary on that. Man, I can't see shit. I'm going to have to put on my glasses here. Um, let's see. Uh, Raul said, hi, Andrew. I'm a student with InventRight. Awesome program. Just curious, how fast can they push a product if a company has interest? Uh, the season for it is coming, and I don't want to miss the wave. Okay. Well, I'll give you an example. So uh, Halloween? No way. You know, it's it's mid-July, August, September, October. Yeah, you know, you're toast for Halloween. It's next Halloween. No big deal. Okay. So, um, but with the supply chain issues and things, you know, it, it took companies quite often 10, 12, 14 months before to launch a new product. So now with the supply chain issues, it just takes a little bit longer. It's not it's not the end of the world. You're going to move on. You're going to license other products. And it's just going to take them an extra two or three or four months or so to bring the product to market. So what? It's still way faster than you can ever do it on your own. Um, it is what it is, Raul. I just work on licensing your products. Um, and now, there are certain industries. Let's say it's getting made in the U.S. Okay. You know, there might be a, a unicorn there here and there where they're like, hey, we can get this in the stores in three months or something like that. Um, that's possible. Um, those DRTV guys, they like doing things really fast. Um, although I think they would have a problem doing it that fast as well. So I'm not saying sometimes it doesn't happen in six months, but I just try to lower expectations and go expect it to be over a year from the time you sign the deal to the time it hits the stores. Um, but there is always exceptions. Um, so I wouldn't worry about it. I just try to close the deals and it is what it is. Um, and if that means you're missing 
that season? Well, they're going to tell you. So they're going to say, oh, this is for next season. Because I get inventors that are like, oh, you know, it's like a, a month for, before Christmas. You know, they're going to be selling this. I'm like, what? Like, what world do you live in? Like, how is that possible? How is that logistically possible? So, Raul, it is, you weren't saying that. Raul, it is what it is, you know. Ask them, and they'll tell you. They'll tell you, yeah, we could try to get in this season, but probably not, or no way in hell it's going to be for next season if it's a seasonal product. That's kind of the part of the problem with seasonal products too, right? But if you're going to work on seasonal products, you kind of have to accept that. Um, so let's see. I just paged up, and then I lost my place here. Uh, there we go. Um, hmm. Uh, Ms. Tish said, Mr. Krause, the company got in contact with me, paid 8000 still no feedback. I don't know what that means. What did they pay you 8000 for? Um, and what what's the feedback? So um, I don't understand. So you mean no communications? The company you licensed to paid you 8000 in advance and now no communications. I don't know. Um, you know, wh one thing I'm going to say, guys, is you should never, ever, ever sign a licensing agreement without having somebody that knows licensing look at it. I'm talking to um, some people that aren't InventRight students, and they sign licensing agreements. And I ask them a bit about it, and I can see they have no, they have a, they have no freaking idea. Like they don't know where the company distributes, really. They don't. I, did you get this and this in the agreement? I'm not sure. I'm like, okay. Don't, don't do that, guys. When people are students with us, our negotiation coach, Paul, helps them through the process, explains every aspect of the agreement. And then when it deals about 95% done, he says, you just need a licensing attorney just for an hour or two to dot the I's and cross the T's. Because licensing attorneys are notorious deal killers. They try to nitpick deals to get more billable hours. And they give bad advice, quite frankly. We give very level-headed advice. At the same time, we tell our students don't sign it without having a licensing attorney go over it. So it's but if every time you get a little interest, you call up a licensing attorney, you could pay more for one deal than you'd pay for us to help you with everything, you know. Um, so that's uh, something to be really, really careful about. So Miss Tish is saying the company got in contract contact with me. OK, I don't know. Now I'm wondering if she's talking about uh, invention promotion company that she paid eight thousand dollars. And still no feedback. I, I don't know. Maybe you can clarify. I don't know if it's a company you're trying to license to or if it's um, one of these invention promotion scam companies. Um, let's see what else we got here. Xavier uh, hmm. uh, said, what is the financial range to expect for licensing attorneys when working with InventRight? I'm saving up and I am close. Um, we save our students tremendous amounts. So when somebody becomes a student with us during their membership, we help them with unlimited negotiations, with unlimited projects. So Paul helps you. Our negotiation coach doesn't cost you a dime. And we have two licensing attorneys. I know one of which last time I checked, if Paul helps the student with the contract and you go back and forth with the company, by the time it gets to the licensing to one of the two licensing attorneys we know, it costs nothing. Like this one guy, he'll he'll charge three hundred fifty dollars because he just has to dot the i's and cross the t's. Because Paul's super thorough, the inventor understands the contract, um, 
So it's very, very affordable. So, and he only, no licensing attorney is going to do that for you guys. They, we got two licensing attorneys that do it for us because they know our contracts, they know our students are knowledgeable and they know it's, there's not much for them to do anymore because we helped the student through it. Um, so, uh, so I think what you're saying is how much does it cost to then have a licensing attorney do the final review? And like I said, we know one guy is 350. It could be more, um, but you could easily spend the $3,500 we charge for our year long program. Um, and with one deal with a, a few calls and some negotiations. And then usually the licensing attorney piss the company off. They say they're fighting for you and they still send you that big old bill, but the deal's dead. So um, I'm very biased in what I'm saying, but I truly 100% believe it. And I've said this before, if every time one of our students got interest, we said, oh, just go to a licensing attorney and... <laughs> That would be a joke. They would kill 80% of the deals that Paul, our negotiation coach, helps people close. There's a couple of reasons for that. <clears throat> um, on the first part, the back and forth between you and a company before you get to a contract is everything. It's so much more important than the contract. And people don't understand that. And we give people a frame of reference and we guide them through that very subtle um, negotiation. It's very sensitive. It's very delicate. You can break it really easily just by going with the wrong deal flow. Do licensing attorneys know that? Hell no. They suck at that. They really completely suck at that. Um, they don't, I would never go to a licensing attorney for that. Um, but now the back and forth with the negotiation, um, that's very delicate as well on the details of the contract. So Paul will help the student understand. The student will go back to the company and say, you know, they might have mentioned these three things. And Paul's like, let's save these other things. Get them. It's all singing kumbaya and going, hey, this is a great, I don't even know what that means. His, these are, yeah, you say yes to these things. And then we'll hit them up with the harder things. It's very strategic. Or uh, licensing attorneys just tend to beat people right over the head and fight for you and then piss the company off, right? Um, so, yeah, it's pouring rain out there. It's sunny and pouring rain. That's very odd. Um, so, but the, those don't underestimate, which we had a couple people here, Derek and, um, and Chad, and then I think a third one, they're getting interest. That early stage stuff, Way more important than the contract. I mean, the contract's important, of course. But you don't get to a contract if you don't do that early stage stuff and know how to move a deal forward. Okay, so that, that's the main point that I want to get across here. Huge, huge, huge. Um, let's see if I, uh, I lost my place again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Jeff was giving some advice about um, these racing companies. And like I said, I didn't get into the weeds of, you know, who this is for and all this. So that was nice suggestions, Jeff. You guys can look at the chat there. Um, uh, Adam said, hi, Andrew, a company replied to my email, but they asked to see a website or example of previous work. Okay, and something's wrong. Uh, I told them I'm new to it. So I don't have these things. You don't need them, dude. Um, they didn't reply. What do I do now? So that's ridiculous. 
So I think in the history of InventRight, I've only had two students ever where the company said, we'd like to see your portfolio. So th Adam, this company's not interested or you didn't approach them the right way, one or the both, okay? Um, you don't need a website, that's ridiculous. Um, when you're licensing, you, you send your sell sheet or, or video and that's gonna pitch your product. If you guys ever do do a website, it should be super generic and none of your products should be up there, okay? It should just be, I, I design and license products, blah, 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 and that's, that's it. You could just use your LinkedIn for that. So the website thing's ridiculous. You, you know, explain to them that you're looking to license this product to them. You believe the product's the right match. You don't have to say I'm not experienced or whatever. You didn't do anything wrong. And examples of previous work, it's like nobody does that. So, you know, you, you need to just say, I can I show you my product? I have a sell sheet. I think it's a good match for your product. Like, this is what I do. Why do you want to see my previous work? Here's the product I think is a good match for your product line. So, what happened to Adam there, sometimes people think is common. Oh, well, I need to see your track record. Bullshit. Nobody cares. They just want to see what you're putting in front of them. They don't care. There's no difference between you that have never licensed anything and somebody that's licensed 20 things, as long as you conduct yourself professionally. So either, Adam, either you did it in such a way that they wanted to kind of challenge you and just to make you go away, or they're just being silly. That's just so rare. I literally seen that twice with our students in, in 22 years. Um, uh, Mike said, thanks for the continued inspiration. You're welcome, Mike. Uh, we're coming up on four minutes to the hour here. I'll try to rifle through some questions really quickly. Um, Adam said, I followed up with another email. Still haven't replied yet. Adam, you probably just need to move on. Don't get obsessed with that. You're doing great, man. You're reaching out. So you got this weird response. People get too distracted by the occasional weird response. Or People will reach out to two or three companies and one thing happens with one company and they go, oh, this is how it is. And I, <clears throat> I look at it. I'm like, what's your sample size of experience? Three companies? That's not how it is. We do this for 22 years with students in over 65 countries. That's not how it is. You're making the wrong assumption. So, <clears throat> um, Adam, just keep reaching out. Don't let that hold you back. You didn't say it was. Just keep going. Um, uh a success said, Andrew, thanks for answering my question earlier. Great response. It brings me confidence to me and others. Um, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's what we're trying to do here at InventRight. Remove all these roadblocks. I'll give you a couple examples. Like people think, oh, I, I need $20,000 for a patent. It's like, well, no, you only need $75 for a provisional. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, oh, I need, I, need a, I, need a, I need a prototype. I need this beautiful prototype. I need, yeah. It's virtual prototype you can do for a few bucks. Oh, okay. I don't have any more excuses. Oh shit. <laughs> you know, they're they're not excuses. They're they you believe they were solid reasons, and then we dispelled that myth and keep you moving forward. And we try to do that in as many areas as possible. because uh, people do come to a lot of their own conclusions. So I guess my best advice is don't assume anything. Listen to people that have done it before. Um uh Remember, oh, I didn't even see this one before. How do recessions affect deals? So I just, I answered that earlier. So it's great. I didn't even see that your question was there. Um, uh, Kata said, how do I find potential companies on LinkedIn? You don't. You, 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 that's not where you find companies. You do your market research. 
you find companies that are selling products somewhat similar to yours in the stores where you want to be. That's how you find the companies. Then you look them up on LinkedIn. Then you reach out to them. But you don't go on LinkedIn to find the companies. That's a waste of time. Um, uh, I don't know what this one means. Uh, gross purpose says 300 ideal. Can't I? Can I get? A wall draft patent. I don't know what that means. Um, now I got to look this up. I'm feeling like uh, I think it's just Web 3.0. Everybody's typing about this Web 3. Uh, now I'm getting a little spinning ball there. I hate that thing. Now I got to look up what Web 3 is. Uh, let's see. Okay. Web 3. I think I saw it referenced the other day. Uh, web three, it's just web 3.0 idea. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about that, uh, incorporates concepts such as decentralization, blockchain technologies, token-based economics. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. I think that's great. I think that's, uh, I think there's a future there. I, I agree. Um, Uh, Young said, how can I, it's pretty appropriate since we hit the hour, how can I get help from you? So um, you guys can go to inventright.com and you can look at our services page and you can understand our coaching and mentoring program. So when you see our students licensing products every week, they were a premium student where we coached and mentored them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so that's why our students license products because one, they're willing to put the effort in. And two, we're showing exactly what to do for their particular product. So um, if you want, Young, if you want to book an appointment with one of our advisors, talk about the program, just go to inventright.com, inventright.com, and then click on um, book a consult in the upper right-hand corner. And also on the upper right-hand corner of our homepage, there's a free resources tab, which I suggest you guys check out. Um, we recently hit 60,000 subscribers. As a thank you to me personally, I spent a whole hour answering your guys' questions. If I didn't get to your question, um, please show up earlier next time and ask, and I will get to your question, okay? Um, but I can not I can never answer them all. But I spent a whole hour. So if you're not subscribed down below, click on the subscribe button. Also, and that will help us because I would really love to get to 80,000 as our next goal. Um, even the Pat, we have 60,000 subscribers, which is, you know, for some YouTube channels, that's not a lot. But for our space, we're the biggest guy on the block. I mean, the patent office has 20,000 subscribers. The other players, uh, like 800, 1,000. It's ridiculous. Um, and I have to think that and hope and believe that it's because you guys value the information that we're providing. So please click subscribe down below. If you already click subscribe, don't click on it because then it'll unsubscribe you. <laughs> click on subscribe again if you did that. And watch all our videos, which are free. We have almost, is it almost 900 now, almost 900 videos, 800 and something. Um, and, and like them and ask questions in the chat um, and participate. Um, you can watch some of the recent videos that we've done also with some of our, our coaches and students together, where they get the coach and the student, and then I interview them. And you kind of get a feeling for what coach, not really, somewhat what coaching is students getting over problems is we just keep it really real. So you might want to watch a few of those as well. Uh, but yeah, you go to inventright.com for more information. Sorry, I don't have a chance to read all the other questions here. 
because um, it's coming up on the hour and I'm still kind of a little sick and getting over things. Um, so I want to remind you guys to take care and keep inventing. And I will be back right here next Monday. So if I didn't get to your question, just show up earlier, put it in the chat, and I'll help you guys take care, keep inventing, and I'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.